going to New Orleans to see Bruce Springsteen, focusing on energy, creating things, taking the time to do a podcast like this. For me, those are the beautiful moments that I want to focus along the way. And that's why I trade my time for money. Hi, I'm Sean. I'm a certified financial planner and I'm obsessed with money. Yes, that's right. I'm obsessed with money. Now, it's not money by itself. It's rather the convoluted money relationship that we all have. That's what fascinates me. So here it is. I like money. I like talking. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word podcast, where it's my goal to focus on the intersection between our minds, money, and really what matters most in our lives. Because I feel when we redefine the concept of money in our lives and examine our money relationships, we can take total control about how we feel towards money. On today's episode, we're going to talk about how this podcast will be structured, what each episode will look like, and what my intention is from the podcast. But first, here's a little bit about myself. As a trained and practicing certified financial planner, I believe that the last thing we all really want to hear is save more, pay off your credit cards, and invest more money. These are very important things, but we hear them all the time. And we often find ourselves not doing these things and becoming frustrated with ourselves. So I feel that the key to living this financially free life is actually deeply rooted in our money psychology and our money relationships. And I feel like if we first start by identifying what are our money stories, and typically these stories are unconsciously impacting how we think, act, and feel towards money. When we actually take the time to examine them, we can start to gain control of our money relationship and find out why we're not making these seemingly simple uh, decisions to save more, pay your credit card off, and so forth. And I really, really do feel that when we understand our money relationships and then identify what's really important to us in our life, our entire money framework can change in a healthy manner. And that's the intention of the most hated F word. Now, I'm super excited to launch this podcast. It's something that I've wanted to do for a long time, as I feel like it's an it's a outlet for me to really express my views on money relationship. And also, it's an area for me and all the listeners to really grow and deepen our understanding of our money relationships. I'll be interviewing guests, and for the most part, we'll have consistent questions that really dig into their money relationships and how they feel, think, and act towards money. I feel like by having real stories from real people, we all can relate in some capacity and maybe start to examine our own money relationships to make some tweaks. By no means am I going to proclaim that I'm an expert. I'm learning along the way with everybody else, and I really feel by documenting these interviews, we can all learn together. I recently signed up for an incredible course out of the U.S. called financial psychology and behavior finance. And the whole idea of the course is to look at how psychology and our money go hand in hand and why it's so incredibly important to examine our money psychology. Now, before I get into a little bit more about the details of 
the, the podcast, I thought it would take some time to just talk about why I came up with the most hated F word, which we know is finance, but basically why I want to start this. And to do this, I need a little participation. Now, if you're driving, don't actually close your eyes because I'm going to have you close your eyes right away. But if you're driving, please don't do that because that would be dangerous. And I actually don't know what the liability is for me in that context. So please just don't close your eyes. Okay, for everyone who's not driving, I want you to close your eyes and think about the happiest moment in your life. Think about where you were, who you were with, and think how you were feeling. Keep thinking. This is good. Okay. Now that we have this happy moment imprinted in our minds, we're going to switch gears and we're going to start talking about the most hated F word. And as I've told you, it's finances. Some people might think it's failure, funeral. Often, some people might even think it's farting. But uh, no, as we know, it's finances. For me, what I think makes finances the most hated F word is the fact that we can't even talk about finances without clearing a room. As someone who makes a a profession in finance, sorry, let me restart. As someone whose role is to talk about money all day long, when I meet new people, I can't count how many times they're like, oh, you're in finance? Yeah, I don't want to talk to you. And we know it's a taboo subject. And even according to a study that looked at the most avoided conversations, finance was the clear winner with 44% of the responses. Seriously, 44% of the responses ranked finance as the top conversation people want to avoid. It ranked higher than religion, politics, and death. I mean... This means that we would rather talk about certain politicians' most outrageous tweets than our own personal finances. But for the most part, I can understand why. Based on our upbringings, our dealings with money, finance in and itself is a gross word. When we hear it, we feel that it reeks a paperwork of debt. In fact, a recent study in Canada showed that 42% of Canadians report finance as the top stressor in their lives. That means that maybe even half the people listening to this right now, which hopefully it's more than just me on the first one, which I'm sure it is, um, you would rank finance as the biggest stressor in your lives. And for me, the part that I find disappointing or sad is that we tend to attach so much of our self-worth to our money and then we let those numbers to come to define us. And as I started earning more money and getting a job, I started to realize that it seems like society kind of has a script that goes like this. We go to school, then post-secondary, we graduate, we get a job, and even if it's a job that we hate, then it's our job and duty to buy the biggest and best of everything. And then at work, with every promotion, we must chase. Then we must upgrade our wardrobe, car, house, and everything inside of our house so then we can do the best part, which is posting Instagram-worthy pictures so that everybody knows that we have made it. And sure, I might be exaggerating, but I feel like there's a lot of truth to those statements there. 
But then if you look at what happens, we see 42% of Canadians are stressed. We're unhappy. Then we often tend to start living to work instead of working to live. And why? Well, I think it's because we're hardwired, to, to, we're hardwired for the pursuit of money. And right now, on average, Canadians are only spending a fraction of their disposable income. So disposable income is uh, the money we have left over after all of our expenses. But we're only spending a fraction of that money on things that actually make us happy or that we find worthwhile. And I see this quite often. As someone who has a profession in financial planning, I've learned that it doesn't really matter how much people make. They have the same questions or more so the same feelings. I feel like my money controls me and it stresses me out. There's a, well, there's several amazing studies that have shown that after a household meets a certain income, there's no correlation between how much money they earn after, um, after this income level and happiness levels. So when this study was done in 2009 by Daniel Coleman, it was $75,000 household income. So you can inflate that out to whatever it would be in 2020, but essentially at that time, $75,000 of household income. After $75,000, every additional dollar earned had no correlation uh, between happiness levels. But yet we find ourselves trying to get more money, sacrificing our finite time so often. But the question is, is why are we doing it if the research is clear that it's not linked to happiness. Now, that could be debated, and there's several people who think differently, and to some degree, I think that um, other studies and other research have shown that when we use money as a certain ingredient to chase or do things that are fulfilling and passion projects, then of course our, um, our fulfillment and happiness can increase. But money by itself, it can't do it. Now, I had two stories, or sorry, I have two stories that really influenced me starting the most hated F word. And they've also, also profoundly changed how I look at money and the lens that I view it. So the first story was when my wife and I had this crazy idea in university. We quit and decided to travel around the world. Yep. One day I walked up to my wife and said, hey, we should just quit and go travel around the world. <laughs> And the, the, the big motivating reason why we decided to do that was we loved food and we thought, wow, imagine how much good food we could eat around the world if we got to actually travel around the world. So we did just that. We set off with a one-way ticket to Vietnam with no real plans. It was simply amazing. I think we ended up going to 16 different countries. We ate so much delicious food and experienced so many amazing moments. We scuba dove about, I think it was over 50 times. It was amazing. Um, we ended up circumferencing, circumferencing the entire globe. We started in Vancouver and then ended in uh, Halifax. Just we took the really long, long way. And it was through that time that we realized, holy smokes, uh, we are spending not that much money. In fact, uh, we spent about $33,000 in a year traveling around the world and I remember a friend of mine bought a car for about $26,000. So roughly, I don't know the math on that, and I don't have a calculator in front of me, but 
uh, not too far off, $26,000 and $33,000. But yet we were able to travel around the entire world, eat amazing uh, dishes. We slept in over 90 beds and we just enjoyed every moment of it. But soon we were back home and we settled into our lives. We finished university, we found jobs, we bought a condo and we bought cars and we signed up for the most thrilling thing ever, our utility bills. We certainly felt like we were adulting at that time. But it was, it was odd about how, it was odd the amount of times my wife and I would sit back and think about that trip. We, whenever we would see an airplane going by, we would say, hey, if you could go anywhere, where would you go? And it was a fun little game we had. And if we just, remin- that helped us reminisce about our trip. But I remember one time specifically when we said, yeah, we'd go to, back to India. We spent two months in India. And we started reminiscing about this time that we were taking a train from Varanasi to Delhi. And when we were in Varanasi, we just ate every food possible. We drank every lassi possible. And it was so, so delicious. However, our stomachs didn't really think it was so delicious on that long train ride to Delhi. And uh, me and my wife had a romantic six-hour date in the tin washrooms on that train fighting Delhi Belly. Yes, yes, certainly romantic. But the interesting part of it all was, as we were reminiscing about this, we looked at each other and said, oh, I wish I could go back to that moment now. And that's when it really hit me. I thought, here we are, making good money. We had a condo. We had a car. We were doing all the things that seemed to be successful. But yet, we were thinking about wanting to go back to the situation that, yes, this is very cheesy, but shitty situation, despite all the good things that we had. And it's not saying that we didn't like what we had, but we were sitting there thinking about this time that cost substantially less and wanting to be there. So then I've always heard about that study, money, uh, about the $75,000 in extra money after Can't Buy You Happiness. And I've always heard about that. But right then and there is when it really sunk into me that I realized that, yes, in fact, money can't buy happiness. I 100% agree and I'm have a fortunate life where I don't have to worry about my basic necessities being met, that under that $75,000 mark, 100% money does buy happiness because it helps us get shelter, food, safety. (coughs) But after that $75,000 mark or whatever it is for our lives, it doesn't buy happiness. And this trip really, really, really pointed that out to me. And what I realized is that this thing that we're always chasing called money is just a piece of paper. And it really just stores value until we put it in use, like going traveling around the world, getting married, or whatever that happy moment we thought about at the top of this uh, podcast. It's not money that we're chasing, but yet we find ourselves chasing money so often thinking that when I get that money, I will be happy. So that story really helped me reframe on what am I chasing and why? And is it in fact the money that I'm chasing or is it the experience, the byproduct? And I have found when I refocus on what I'm doing, why I'm doing this, then I'm better able to make decisions that are aligned with things that I want. My second story that really changed the lens on how I see money is an individual that I knew who worked out of town for about 40 years to provide for his family. Um, 
Then finally, at age 65 or so, he retired. Him and, his, him and his wife were ready to live the good life, the retirement life, the thing that they've been chasing for so long. However, he was suddenly diagnosed with an illness, and a few short months later, he passed away. And you see, in life, we just don't know what will happen. And too often, we find ourselves in this rat race, trading our finite time for the pursuit of money. But in the end, we have to ask ourselves, is it worth it? And that's something that I want to really focus on this podcast, is interviewing people who are in the retirement and just asking them, did you trade too much of your time for money? Did you not? What lessons can we learn from you? And in the end, was it worth it? Because I personally really don't think we should conform to this rat race until we're 65 um, to live this dream life. Instead, this is where I find if we take control of our money relationships and get a financially free mindset, then maybe we can live what the retirement dream is all along. Because a lot of people that I talk to, when they seek retirement, or my, there are people who I know who are in retirement, things that they want is not to sit around and do nothing. They want the freedom to control their schedules, to control their morning, to have a little more, um, let's say, let's say less hectic mornings and evenings. But if that's all we really, really want, can we not obtain those throughout our life? Sure, we got to work and we got to save, but can we not get that feeling of control, slowing, slow down morning, slow down evenings? And that's really what this podcast is about, is finding out if we take control of our money relationship, could we start to experiencing those things that we want in retirement? Because if the trend is not to retire now, or what I mean by that is people who are retiring tend to work more, well, maybe we shouldn't push things off all the way to retirement. I don't know. That's what we're going to find out. Um... But yeah, those two stories, amongst many other, are the ones that really, really allowed me to have um, what I would say is like a big transformation in how I saw my money, my life, and where I want to put all my energy and time. And as a result, I really started to hone into what I call my financial why. Essentially, for me, a financial why is why I make money. Every business has a mission statement, and I found it interesting as, a, as people... We don't have our personal mission statement and to identify why we traded our finite time for money. So for me, my financial why is to experience life's beautiful moments. Sorry, I mumbled a little bit there. What I, my financial why is to experience life's beautiful moments. And what that means to me is to have the freedom, the flexibility to do things that are worthwhile. So whether that's going to walk down to Zwick's pretzels with my little kid, um, going to New Orleans to see Bruce Springsteen, focusing on energy, creating things, taking the time to do a podcast like this. For me, those are the beautiful moments that I want to focus along the way. And that's why I trade my time for money. Now, I've also realized if I can do things that I really like to do while I'm trading my time for money, it's actually a win-win. So, as someone who is really obsessed with money and a relationship with money, 
I've read thousands. Well, no, that's a lie. I've not read thousands. I don't think so. I've read hundreds of personal finance books. I've listened to so many podcasts on personal finance. I've consumed so much information. But yet, I'm human, and I know information is not... um, not power. It has the potential for power, but all this information that I've been consuming, I still find myself being a human and making silly financial mistakes. And I often beat myself up on the, or for those mistakes, which I know is not a good thing to do, but hey, I'm human. And that's what, again, led me to realize that maybe it's this intersection between our mind and money that is the important thing to master, not necessarily how to save more. Of course, that's important, but if we can understand how this three-pound muscle in our heads called the brain thinks, feels, and acts towards money, maybe we don't need to consume all this information, and maybe we can actually start to make decisions that we really want to around emotional-driven things like money, um, food, health, all those things that uh, we have a hard time really doing when we know that are when we know the answer is quite simple. Save more, work, work out more, or eat calories. But they're all the same. We have a hard time understanding why our brain won't do this. So that was the reason why I started the most hated F word. And I, I, I genuinely believe the most hated F word does not need to be finances. Uh, for me, I think that it has such a taboo connotation to it for good reasons, but I think the more of us that start talking about it in a healthy way, we can start to change that narrative. And the most important thing I think at first is we change the narrative for ourselves so that we can then start making good decisions for ourselves and then other people might see that and make so forth. But I do want to talk about something that I find so fascinating about money. So after that trip that I had, I came back, the, the trip around the world, I came back fully inspired. I was like, okay, I am not going to fall in this rat race. I am going to just do things that are important to me and I feel good and so forth. Well, as I said earlier, I ended up buying a car, a condo and so forth. I also landed a corporate job, which in hindsight was one of the best things that happened to me for two reasons. It provided me with life lessons that helped me get to where I am today and it helped me meet a mentor of mine. But... Nonetheless, I landed this corporate job. And despite my motivation and desire not to fall into quote-unquote rat race, all of a sudden I realized that I was falling into that rat race. Five years flew by faster than I could think. I found myself working on emails till 9 p.m., buying things that I really didn't care about, putting off personal passion projects, putting off exercising and personal time so that I could be the best employee possible. Now, I'm not saying don't be the best employee possible. I'm just saying the gravitational pull to the rat race is so intense um, that despite this motivation I had to never fall into there, I certainly fell into that uh, gravitational pull. Now, I don't regret that at all because I am where I am today because of my past and I wouldn't change that. But the point I'm saying is when we start to drift and not be conscious about our money decisions or what we want for ourselves, um, we can fall to that rat race so fast. So if I'm someone who's trained as a certified financial planner 
and consume an enormous amount of financial information. And I fall victim to this so-called rat race or not doing things that uh, are textbook in the financial world. I feel like so many of us can have that or fall into those areas. And that's why we get so frustrated with our finance. That's why Canadians report 42 or 42% of us report finance is the top stressor in my life. So this gets back to my intention behind this podcast. If we can really understand our money relationships, then I feel we can start making powerful decisions and taking control to some degree, and it's hard work, but we can start to take control and write the script that we actually want. Because I started to realize that my mind wasn't actually aligned with my soul. What I mean by that is my soul wanted something, but my mind really wasn't ready for it. And for me, what I realized is that I really wanted to be more creative. I wanted to focus on energy creating things. And my mind wasn't there yet, but my soul wanted it. And that's where, when I was back in that corporate job, that I had that dilemma and I I couldn't figure it out. But then I started doing some research and came across an an amazing individual named Dr. Brad Klontz. And through his research, he has uh, examined money relationships. And he's come up with four different money scripts that he feels, based on his research, that we all fall into, one of the four. And often these money scripts were formed in our formative years as a kid, around three to four to five years old. And subconsciously, these scripts now drive all our financial behaviors as adults, and ultimately, they create our money stories. That's right, our money stories. We all have a money story. Money means and has a story to each of us, and it's deeply rooted into our upbringing. Whether we're always told to um, save save your money for a rainy day, can't take all the money with you, uh, only the rich get rich, Whatever the money slogan was, these create and shape our money stories. And that's the lens that we actually use today. So the idea is when we can actually go back and find out why, how these money stories were created, can we change them going forward? So that's what the podcast is about. I really hope that you decide to join me. Um, it's new, so I'll be learning as I go, but I think it's going to be a great journey. I think I'm going to go about four interviews. So four one-on-one interviews where we talk to individuals about their money stories, their money relationship. And then on the fifth one, we'll talk about some sort of context or theory or tips, uh, based on the last four interviews. So if you feel like this is going to be valuable, please head over to the most hated F word dot com that's the most hated f word dot com subscribe to our mailing list and you'll start to see the podcast come out thanks so much for taking the time to listen and have a great day mm-hmm.